Um, and we checked before, and it's your turn to read outro, Anne. All right. Yeah, we already checked Anne, and we decided. <laughs> you guys recorded an episode without me and then decided. Yeah, we already that... talked about it. I think it's clear that South Florida is the seat of power of this uh, <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> wow. At least Anne is the uh, wizard behind the curtain. <laughs> Oh my god, you can't you can't use that phrase because I'm about to talk about the wizard behind the curtain today. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> well I'm talking about Martha Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What if Martha Stewart were the wizard behind the curtain? How do we know she's not? Whoa. <laughs> well she was in jail for a time. Does that make her a wizard? No, I'm saying that it makes her not a wizard. <laughs> Sirius Black was in jail for a time, and we know he was a wizard. <laughs> yeah, but he's not the wizard. <laughs> he was also in wizard jail. Martha Stewart was in regular jail. That's what you think, muggle. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, <laughs> Getting loose. <laughs> now that we're friends, here is an my dog because we're friends now that we're friends now that we're friends now that we're friends now that we're friends hello and welcome to now that we're friends the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework yeah how are you guys doing great i'm doing pretty well how are you, Caroline? <laughs> I just <laughs> I just put a frozen grape in my mouth to eat it and then realized that I it might pick up on the microphone. And so I covered my mouth to bite into it. And then you asked me a question and I had to spit it back into my hand. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. So pretty stressed uh, out. <laughs> so it's a great uh, visual so for our listeners. <laughs> Maybe let's try that one over again. You want to ask me how I am again? <laughs> Nope, that's it. Hey, Caroline, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. Um, You're grape? Just, oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> I've just been really excelling at life lately. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> Keep going. Tell us. So if you'll recall, a couple days ago we were talking, and I went to tell you that I had cooked something out of my Brave Tart cookbook, but I said... Kirk bark? Brave, brave dart cook bark and then i started saying every vowel as an r and so i was like brave tart kark bark and carcanut snarker dartles okay which was very funny if you recall i remember this it was like yesterday it was two days ago so yesterday <laughs> i kept thinking about it and cracking up and i went to text you two to say quote i can't stop saying Brave Tart Kark Bark and Karkanut Snorkel Doodles. But instead, I texted it to our friend Mike O'Connor, who I haven't seen in seven years. <laughs> because it was his birthday yesterday, and I had texted, Happy birthday, Mike. I hope you and Walker are doing well. And he texted back, I'm great. I'm in Vermont. How are you and Phil? To which I responded, I can't stop saying 
Brave Dark. Kark Park. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not false. That that is, I guess, how you were doing. It's true. So then as soon as I noticed it, I texted a lie <laughs> for some strange reason. Cause I thought it was too Im- I don't know why it was more embarrassing to say I meant to text you guys. So I was like, oh my God, sorry, Mike. Those texts were for Phil. (laughs) And because Mike O'Connor is a gem, he wrote back, it's okay. It's good to get that very specific update. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been dying of laughter and shame since. So that's how I am. (laughs) So how are you guys? (laughs) I... Recently, this is really boring, but it's exciting because my life is boring. I recently bought Birkenstocks because I have plantar fasciitis <laughs> and they are just like changing my life, guys. That's awesome. They are so comfortable and I resisted them for a long time, but they're great. They've really turned my life around. I wish I could I'm wear really them. Glad. Why can't you? Well, because they are shaped like a normal foot. <laughs> like normal toes, how it's sloped down like normal feet. Mm-hmm. And I have such a long second toe that oh, yeah. uh, it doesn't – the like uh, slope of my toes don't fit at all in any way, shape – not even the second toe, all of the toes. Like if I'm going to get a shoe that fits, the last four toes just like curl over the sides of the top. <laughs> that is a horrifying thing to it's, say. Well, I have really yeah. long toes. Well, but and the thing too about Birkenstock specifically is that they have that like already kind of carved out yeah. toe bed, if you will. Yeah. So that if the creases of your toes don't fit that mold, then you're fucked. Yeah. I buy cheap Target shoes. This is what people talk about in their 30s, yeah. right? <laughs> I think at any rate, I think you two have really gotten to the bottom of it. I think it's more like 50s and 60s. I think we probably should pull back a little bit. How's Gail? Um, good. I'm living in the mountains. I walked. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. Tell tell the listeners your news. Oh, dear listener. Maybe just one. Um, (laughs) hi, our one listener. I moved to the North Georgia Mountains. I got a job teaching at Young Harris College, and the kids are great. They're adults. They're also kids. They're also my friends, (laughs) as I accidentally call my students my friends. And yeah, I live in the wilderness, basically. I mean, not really. I live right behind the campus. So there's a lot of – there are people around, but the – actual like cabin I live in. It's very surrounded by woods. And I saw a bobcat on the way home the other day, like right on my street. And lots of bunnies and deer. And Hubble and I walked to a waterfall that is less than a half a mile away from my house, which is across the street from an alpaca farm where there's a big old dog, probably a Newfoundland, who looks just like an alpaca. And he doesn't bark at Hubble. So and Hubble doesn't bark really like as protection or anything. So they just stare at each other and it's really cute. But then this morning we walked to the alpaca farm and there was like a Rottweiler there. And I guess maybe the Newfoundland called the Rottweiler over. (laughs) I was like, hey, this girl and her dog keep coming by. (laughs) Because then they started barking. So anyway, we walked home. This 
It sounds like a really magical place that you live. It, it is. I like it. It's called, actually, it's called, you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. It's called the Enchanted Valley. Ooh. Yeah. It's supposed to be very magical. It sounds magical. Yeah. There's also a lot of spiders. That's One was great. on my toilet yesterday. I didn't like it. Ooh. I have a, a story for you that um, my brother is a plumber and he lives in South Florida and he went to a house that had like a terrible clog and they couldn't figure out and blah, blah, oh, blah. No. And he ended up pulling out a dead iguana. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's Which is horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. But then he was telling the owner, oh, no. he was like, oh, this is what I found. And the guy thought he was implying that he like tortures iguanas. And my brother's like, I would never imply such a thing. Like sometimes animals get into the pipe. So, yeah, like, they get thirsty. It just happens. But then my brother was like, you're so adamant about it, though, that now I think you might <laughs> torture iguanas. No, I don't do anything with iguanas. What are you talking about? <laughs> and he, like, is holding an iguana, but in, like, is just holding it behind his back. He's like, no, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I thought you were going right. to say, like, a nest of spiders. Oh, no, no, no. Anything that I just swarms don't. or is, like, a, a nest of something just needs to go away, you know? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's like, oh, a nest of cuddly, tiny panda bears. No, uh-uh. I still think that's a little bit scary. What? A whole bunch of them, tiny, like thousands in a tiny little swarm. No, thank you. <laughs> All right. Should we listen to our voicemail for this week? I mean, why not, you know? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, now that we're friends. How do I tell my boss that I need a raise? Sincerely, your friend, Amancio. Amancio already called us his friend. Yeah. I know. I do think it is a really tricky question. It's a very tricky question. It sure is. Can I tell <laughs> you that just when I was thinking about Amancio's question, I did some light Googling about asking for a raise, just the lightest of Googling. Sure. <laughs> About asking for a raise. And the first site that came up was called The Art of Manliness. Yeah. And I vomited in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That is super gross. (laughs) Actually, what's funny is that Google showed me all sorts of womanly websites. (laughs) They were like, how to ask for a raise because men always get them and women should get them too. And I was like, all right, Google, calm down. That was like the second tier of the Googling. But – the art of manliness can like yeah. fuck right. Well, off. yeah, I've seen I've seen articles from the art of manliness in a couple of different. Actually, I think I was looking for questions for this show, and one of them came up on the art of manliness, and I was like, "Ex nay on the art of manliness." Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I think your uh, pig Latin needs some work. That's yeah. really good. <laughs> That's like when someone studies abroad for like six months and comes back speaking a language. Yeah. <laughs> but just one out of every four words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like pretends they don't remember. They're like, oh, how do you say it in English? Yeah. It's a uh, painting <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do any Googling, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I did just have something just come to me out of nowhere, which is that I got my nails done yesterday and Helen, who does my nails is really sweet and funny. And while we were sitting there, this woman came in and she was like, oh, I'm scared. Helen said that to me. And I was like, why is that your next customer? And she was like, no, I won't see her anymore. She starts telling me about this woman and how she's just like a kind of problem client. And she's kind of been bounced around 
the salon because people will, will get to a point where they're like, I can't work with this woman anymore. Like she's really demanding. She's really critical. She'll get like a full set of nails done and then be like, I don't like it. Can you change the colors? You know, just really difficult. And she said that the last time she saw her, Helen's very forthright. And so she said, she was like, I think I'm just not the person for you. Cause this is twice that I've tried to do your nails and you don't like them. And this woman thought she was being rude. And she was like, I'm going to talk to the owner. And Helen says, fine, talk to the owner. And then she says to me, I make money for the owner. The owner doesn't make money for me. And it's just such like a simple thing. But it is true that a lot of times the power dynamics in a job can make you feel like you have to be like have a certain amount of deference to the person in authority. Yes. But you are serving them more than they're serving you. And so I think that's something to kind of like carry into this conversation, Amancio. Yeah. It's about confidence in knowing your worth. And the value you bring. And that like the thing that that got me and the thing, I guess I don't have experience with asking for a raise, but I, I mean, you know, but with salary negotiation and things like that, and I couldn't actually find a good recommendation for this besides Harry Potter. Um, so I'm not saying it's a, this is a light recommendation. It's not really Harry Potter, <laughs> but it's this idea that like it, everyone does it. And it's just like, there's like this pretense that you, that everyone else knows and that you don't, which then like heightens that feeling of intimidation. But really what it is, is that everybody knows the code and all you have to do is just jump in and say the code and then they say the code back and then it's complete. Like it's this feeling that like, oh, I can't do that. It's, you know, but then turns out everyone's been doing it behind your back anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like it's this world of adulthood that you feel like you can't do, but actually it's the thing that that people have been doing but just don't talk about because it's – well, it's about money, number one. But number two, it it like helps the boss have more – it makes you feel more – The upper hand. Yeah, it gives the boss the upper hand. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The whole notion that talking about money is gauche is just a way to keep people from – knowing how much other people have, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really, we would be a lot more pissed off about inequality if, if we knew how much there was. <laughs> yeah. I have $7 oh. in my wallet right now, guys, just so you know. I don't, I don't I carry have, dollars. Well, I live, dollars. I live in the Georgia <laughs> mountains. You have to have cash. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. I didn't have cash normally, but now I, I do. I have to take it out. Should we get into some recommendations or we want to talk about the problem a little more. Yeah. I mean, I think let's get into the recommendations and the the meat of it. The, the general talk will will still come through. Yeah. Let's get right cool. into the juicy middle. Ooh, <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah. All my recommendations for today can be broken up kind of into two categories. And I'm just going to tell you about the first category and the first thing in that category. Though. Great. But the first category is stuff like we talked about kind of What you really need to do is harness your confidence, know your worth, and then communicate that directly and eloquently. And so my first thing that I think would be helpful in doing that is actually a book that I have not read in full, but my husband, Phil, swears by it, and I've read parts of it and and plan to read it in full. But it's called The Art of Communicating, and it's by a Buddhist monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. I would not in any way profess to know a ton about Buddhism, 
but I don't know. I do have... I've heard you say it a lot, like <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, I I have not studied Buddhism at all, but I do have some people close to me who have, and I know one of the kind of guiding principles of Buddhism is living in congruence with yourself. So it's kind of like a lot of like the strife and suffering you have is because you're not in congruence, which means like maybe you hold these values, but you don't live in congruence with those values. So the the actions you're making are not serving the values that you have. And so you have to kind of figure out your values and then you figure out your actions from there. And so that's really kind of the framework of this book is defining what communication is and what challenges we have in interpersonal communication and then figuring out what makes good communication from there and coming up with practices for that. But the part I want to share with you, Amancio, there's a chapter that's called The Keys to Communicating with Others. And in that, he talks about the four elements of right speech. Right speech is speech that is like loving, direct, and well-intentioned, basically. And the four elements of right speech are, one, tell the truth. Don't lie or turn the truth upside down. Two, don't exaggerate. Three, be consistent. This means no double talk. Speaking about something in one way to one person and in an opposite way to another for selfish or manipulative reasons. And then four, use peaceful language. Don't use insulting or violent words, cruel speech, verbal abuse, or condemnation. Which I think seem like very kind of obvious and intuitive things. But I think when we start to approach difficult conversations, it can be easy to fall short of these, like especially the exaggerate one. I feel like as soon as you feel a little cornered, you're like, well, it's a huge deal because blah, blah, blah. You know, like you, even with yourself, you start to exaggerate the situation. And also the the double talk one feels like kind of a, a pitfall people can get into. So those are the things I want to share just on the episode, but Phil read this book and it, it's really kind of, I don't know about marketed, but it's its the way that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it is more like interpersonal communication, but Phil has found it really, really helpful in his work and business life. So I think that Amancio, you might get a lot out of this that could kind of simplify, at least in your mind, what feels prickly about this communication situation and maybe help you to approach it in like a calmer way, which will just kind of diffuse your side of it a little bit. I like that. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's so easy in situations like this. And I mean, depending on to amounts to like who your boss is, what your relationship is, what the structure of the company is. I mean, you could go in, in so many different ways. But what I found useful is a lot of what you said, Caroline, is just sort of like keeping your priorities straight and not kind of like obsessing about the situation in a super emotional mm-hmm. way, which is difficult for me. And especially when it comes with money, I think it can get a little prickly and emotional. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of spin all sorts of narratives internally about what you deserve and why you deserve it. And often it's it's personal, it's or it's professional, but it's also personal. But you need to make sure that when you are presenting it to your boss in a professional situation that it stays 
consistent and it stays relevant and that you're really advocating for yourself professionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I have two opposing uh, ways in which this could go. I think Anne explained the first one pretty well, which is getting too emotionally uh, invested in and obsessed with kind of what you think you deserve and who you think you are. And I'm just, I'm going to give a recommendation for that feeling because I think we can kind of go back and forth between that feeling. And the that recommendation I have is Rose's Turn from Gypsy, the song Rose's Turn from Gypsy, which we probably all know it as Mama's Talking Loud, Mama's Doing Fine. You know, that, that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's from the musical Gypsy done by, you know, lots of famous people like our friend Ethel Merman. And the main, I think, if I'm going to have a probably a leading lady from every episode, I guess is what's going to happen is this one's <laughs> this week's episode is all about Bernadette Peters. And her version on the 2004 Tonys is incredible because basically, so the whole thing is um, actually when looking this up, it turns out it's called, you guys can tell me if you knew this, it's known as the 11 o'clock number. And it's like a type of Broadway song that tends to come around 11 o'clock if shows start at like traditionally start at eight. When like the protagonist has a big like realization moment and that's like, so like they say, it's like memory from Cats. I don't remember the other ones, but memory is the one I remember. And then Rose's turn. And I'm sitting here thinking like defying gravity from Wicked, but that's, I guess, probably more of a 930 hour. I think that's 930 because that's that ends the first right. act. That was the first thing I thought about though. Right. But so yeah. So that- traditionally, I would say that that's probably still an 11 o'clock number though. Yes. I also think I want to tell you, which maybe you guys already know, but when you said 11 o'clock number, it immediately, I did not know that term, mm-hmm. but it immediately, immediately made me think of Pooh Bear because he says he's feeling a little 11 o'clock-ish <laughs> when he gets hungry. <laughs> I mean, they they start to get real hungry, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Mama's talking loud. <laughs> so anyway, so this is part of the show when like Rose is realizing that what she considers all the sacrifice she's done for her children has just been completely... Um, and obviously she's crazy. I mean, not crazy, but she is, you know, we're getting real messy here. Like none of this is real healthy behavior. Yeah. Um, and so, but she kind of, you know, she's like, hello, everybody. So like, you know, we've got like Gypsy at this point who, Gypsy Rose, who's like very famous. And like, so she's basically trying to, I would say Rose is trying to, she, I don't even say she's trying to be famous. I think she, like she thinks she deserves fame and is getting fame at that. It's so it's a little bit crazy. Let's put it that way. So she says like, "Hello, everybody. My name's Rose. What's yours?" And it's really great. But it ends with, and it, this is why I think Bernadette Peter d- does it just the best. Bernadette Peters at the end of this Tony Award um, scene. She does, you know, it's like everything's coming up roses. And then she goes, this time for me. And then it starts getting all, it's all like fast. She's, this time for me. And then it starts like getting really dark. And then she gets really scared. This time for me. And so I understand that feeling of, am I getting really crazy? I'm, that is literally a question no. I'm asking. Okay. Okay. No, this is great. Um, You're doing good. As I started doing that. You do. You do remind me a little bit of the I'm so excited, I'm so scared scene of Saved by the Bell. No, it's exactly that scene. (laughs) And honestly, (laughs) so you're like, so you're like Jesse on speed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm like, I'm feeling my heart started racing and I was like, oh no, I think I'm in another like planet right now. 
But she's, you know, it's like everything's coming up roses this time for me. And so she's really obsessed with the things that she wasn't, that she didn't get, all the work that she did, all the sacrifice she gave, but she got nothing out of it. And she has these ungrateful children, but like none of this is healthy behavior. So she starts going, this time for me, this time for me. And she just keeps repeating it, but it gets dark and dark and dark and scary. And then it ends. So I would say that's your warning. Maybe don't do that. But also, you should probably still channel a little bit of this time for me in the beginning when she's all excited. (laughs) And like, you know, mama's doing fine. Mama's all alone. You know, like maybe maybe get that part too. Yes. Yeah. You start with the this is what I deserve. This is what I am owed. But then maybe you don't spiral. (laughs) Don't do speed, I guess. (laughs) Into the like – yeah internal madness of (laughs) yeah of all of the obsessions and yes repetitions so then as the opposite of that I would say the person who does it well is Dwight on the office (laughs) in the episode called the negotiation from season 10 or season 10 there's no is there even a season 10 I just made it up season Three, episode 19. And there's like a scene, like a camera pulls back on a scene in Dwight in the stairwell and he's playing like hardcore metal music and he's like, you know, air guitaring and he's just yelling out like, you're going to give me this raise. I deserve this raise. (laughs) And then, but what I really like about that is because he's also doing the work. He's pumping himself up, obviously, because he's like getting himself ready for the negotiation. But then he's also going, (laughs) I'm making myself laugh. Um, he goes, the least you can do is keep my salary consistent with inflation. And he's like yelling at himself with all this metal music. And he goes, why? Why do, you sh- why do I deserve this raise? Because I'm awesome. And it like, <laughs> and it's so funny. But so it's like you're pumping yourself up. You're recognizing how much you're worth, but you're not spiraling. You're actually, I think, staying a little bit down on the ground. You're doing the actual work that is figuring out what inflation is, figuring out, you know, like what other what is it? Comparable. Yeah. What other, yeah. What you actually can get, right? Not just what you deserve, which yeah. we all, Amancio, from this small moment that we've known you, we think that you deserve so much more. However, what your boss <laughs> is willing to give you is a different story. <laughs> you sound wildly talented to me. Yeah. Amancio. You sound great. Yes. You do sound great. But no, I, I agree with that too. Just having a number mm-hmm. in mind is important when you're asking for a raise because you could alienate (laughs) your boss in that situation as well. So doing a little bit of research and outlining your accomplishments, but then having that Mm -hmm. number in mind is helpful to keep things. And don't just start singing everything's coming up roses. (laughs) Yeah. Or shouting at your boss in the stairway either. No. (laughs) Well, he wasn't shouting at his boss. He's shouting to himself. He's like, he's pumping himself oh, up. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, okay. Sorry. I misunderstood. I was just going to recommend, in the vein of TV shows, watching Insecure. There is one particular scene I'm thinking about, but I think the show, in thinking about how it deals with the working world, I'm thinking specifically of Molly's character Mm -hmm. and how she is sort of on this trajectory at her law firm and she is really confident in what she does and what she's worth and then there's this scene I think I think it's in season two 
it's just a great scene that I think a lot of people can relate to. You're kind of going along at your job and you're thinking about what a great job you're doing. And she knows that she is worthwhile to this company. But then there's this moment where she sees the pay stub of a white man that she works with. And she's like, hold up. This guy makes way more than me. And then she starts to spiral and she starts to think about all of the ways in which maybe she's not doing her job well, which all of that is bullshit. But I just think the show does a really great job of kind of showing the realness of how awkward workplaces are, especially when it comes to power dynamics and asking for what you want and what you are worth. And of course, in Insecure, it has to do with race. It has to do with gender. But even in just these scenes, I think it's it's really humanizing to see that she ends up kind of thinking about, well, well, why is this? Did I do something wrong? And of course, that's not true. She ultimately, well, I don't want to give spoilers. The hospital blows up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The fern blows up and everybody dies. And that's the end (laughs) of the series. But essentially, I think it's just without giving any spoilers about what she ends up doing. It's just a really it's a really great moment to see how vulnerable we all are in situations when pay and power dynamics in whatever form they come in happen in a workplace. And I think it's always good to see those played out in a realistic Mm -hmm. way that we can sort of reflect on, okay, even if someone is making more than me and they shouldn't, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to spiral about it. But then I'm going to make a plan to think about what I need to do to assess the situation, to approach my boss in a way that is respectful to myself, that doesn't boil over into something personal, even if that's how you feel in the situation. But it's all about kind of building that confidence in knowing what you're worth and outlining your accomplishments and going from there. Well said. Another element I think is important is remembering, I think about this a lot with communication and how we sometimes overcomplicate communication scenarios for ourselves is that we forget that we can be transparent. So Mm -hmm. this takes me back to when I started teaching in grad school and I had the great fortune to have some advisement from Dr. Ruth Jenner, who was, she is, I don't, I don't see her anymore, but that doesn't mean she doesn't exist. (laughs) She's a super brilliant Marxist scholar and professor at the University of Massachusetts. I remember her saying when we were talking about lesson planning or something, we were talking about something to do with in the classroom kind of nuts and bolts teaching. And she said, you don't have to trick your students into learning things. You don't have to do an activity and then say, oh, I hope they glean this from it. You can say to them, these are our learning goals. This is why we're doing this. And it was pretty mind-blowing to me at the time because a lot of the conversation I had heard about teaching up till that point was like, oh, you do this and you want them to get this out of it without just saying straight up, it's okay to tell them what Mm -hmm. the goal is. They don't need to have an epiphany moment. You're not facilitating 
18 or 24 individual epiphanies, you're teaching them. <laughs> and I think about that all the time. And I, you know, obviously when I, when I teach, I always make sure to like come back to like, this is what I hope you got out of this. This is why we did this stuff like that. It comes up a lot because Phil will ask me, he'll say, I want my students or my sailors, he's a coach. I want my sailors to get this. And I'm like, well, then tell them that. <laughs> sometimes we, we overcomplicate where we think like we have to lead people down the road with breadcrumbs and we can't just be transparent and very direct. And I think part of it might be that we've internalized somehow that directness is rude, but directness yeah. and transparency when delivered like in a calm and professional way is just really good mm-hmm. communication. And so on that vein, one thing I think you should do is watch some sitcoms. The two I would suggest that came to mind immediately are Frasier and I Love Lucy, because some of the situation part of the situation comedy comes from people not communicating well. And that's like dramatic irony of you watching Lucy and Ethel pretending something and like, you know, Fred knows all along. I don't know. You get Mm -hmm. the scenario where you know that if they just said something directly, it would be cleared up. Or like Frasier's like dating a woman who doesn't know blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just fucking tell her, Frasier. It's fine. The entire premise of the show often has to do with people not being transparent and direct. And it it creates the humor, but it also sometimes creates like anxiety mm-hmm. for the watcher. So I think I would watch those and then think like, oh, don't be like that. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that a lot. If Ricky would just give Lucy her own checking account, she wouldn't have to try to make money by pretending to be an Apache dancer or, you know, whatever. Yeah, for, for example. example. And then the last thing I would say on that is that I think you should watch Veep and pay close attention to the Richard Splett character. So Richard, oh my God. I know. Richard's my favorite character on the show. I think he shows up maybe season two or three. He's not there from the beginning. But everyone on Veep is like very political double talk. But Richard is just like wholesome and good and says exactly what he's thinking right away. And he's incredibly hilarious to watch. But he also kind of continues to get by. Like he's not... I think in the mind of the show, the other characters think that type of like transparency and forthrightness is a weakness and that like conniving is how you get things done. But Richard continues to just like walk his way into like success after success by being that way. Yes. Yeah. And I also don't want to have big spoilers, but I heard the, I don't know if it was the director or the showrunner he was talking about how they had one vision of how the show was going to end. And then they kind of changed their mind. If you watch the final season, it's very clearly influenced by the Trump presidency. But before that, they had a very different vision of how the show would end. And they, he said the show was always going to end with split becoming president, that all the like wheeler dealers were going to fall away. And like the one kind of honest, good person was going to be the one who rises to the top. And they obviously Mm -hmm. changed that (laughs) in, in the Trump era. But that that was the original conceit of the show. So I think watching Veep, thinking about Splat with laser vision, can give you an antidote (laughs) to the lack of transparency. The the reason why I really love sitcoms, and not really how they're made anymore, but the like craft of them in the 90s and the early 2000s, I guess, is how they do really – I mean, they they heighten that dramatic irony, which just isn't funny anymore, which I think is is really interesting. But I think – but like watching Frasier – and I mean, Isla Lucy, they're not in the same era, but watching them really makes you see how absolutely absurd some things are 
you know, by like mm-hmm. really heightening that absurdity. And I think so. I've <laughs> I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore again because um, I watched it and I loved it as a kid, and watched Rhoda as a kid. And although Rhoda is not on Hulu, which is very upsetting, Mary Tyler Moore is on Hulu. And so I've been going back through and watching it, and I'm towards the end of this, the first season. But the pilot, there's like the the beginning of the pilot when she goes and I was going to say auditions. I'm back in Rosa's turn. When she goes and interviews uh, at the television studio or the new studio where she is going to eventually work, and she sees Ed Asner, who just gem of a human, Edward Asner. He plays the boss. Uh, Lou Grant. And there's this incredible, hilarious interview scene that I think highlights just how stupid and not fair any of this is. And I think this is particularly, I would say, because Mary Tyler Moore, particularly kind of geared toward women. But I think overall, it shows the absurdity of any of this. We're like, there are supposed to be rules. There are supposed to be things that we follow, but somehow people just don't follow them. And there's really nothing that you can do about it. I mean, they're, you know, there really are in terms of like really extreme ways, but I have a little a little scene to read for you. I'm going to try to be both Mr. Grant and Mary Tyler Moore or Mary Richardson in the show. <clears throat> what religion are you? Uh, Mr. Grant, I don't quite know how to say this, but you're not allowed to ask that when someone's applying for a job. It's against the law. Want to call a cop? No. Good. Would you think I was violating your civil rights if I asked if you're married? Presbyterian. Well, I decided to answer your religion question. Divorced? No. Never married? No. Why? Do you type? Mr. Grant, there's no simple answer to that question. Yes, there is. No, I can't type, or yes, I can. There's no simple answer as to why a person isn't married. How many reasons can there be? 65? Words per minute? My typing question. Yes. Anyway, I think maybe we should probably split it up to two people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I love the move that it's just so good because then it, it like he, like you start out what religion are you then it goes into would you think I was violating your civil rights if I asked if you're married and she goes uh Presbyterian and it's just so good and then it goes back into how many reasons are there why you aren't married and then she says 65 and he goes oh you mean words per minute do you type it's just very funny <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's very good, and um, and I think she does a, a very good job of kind of being funnily like she, she like she's this cute, funny character, but she's also the straight man, which is which is a really weird character to play. And then Rhoda comes in and is the opposite of that. So you should watch mm-hmm. at least the pilot, Amancio, because I think the plot beginning is pretty clear. You know, how will you make it on your own? You know, like the the song just. Pretty much says it. And it turns out she's going to make it after all, you know? So I think you're going to make it after all. Just maybe not in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I mean, but maybe. I don't know where you are right now. So, yeah. Maybe eventually. (laughs) So I have another TV recommendation. And a lot of the shows I was thinking about were also thinking about things maybe you shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. In an office situation, but a show that I think you should really watch, Amancio, which you probably already have, is Broad City, mm. because the first of all, the workplace situations in that show are just fucking hilarious and ridiculous. But I think something that you could take, especially from Ilana's character, 
even though she is so direct in her communication, maybe to a fault. There's this scene in season four, episode two, where she finally leaves her job at Deals, Deals, Deals. And she takes this waitressing job at a sushi restaurant where uh, RuPaul is the boss. Have you guys seen this? Yes. It's so good. But basically, RuPaul does not want to give Ilana the time of day during this interview unless she can basically just be direct and be confident. Mm -hmm. And so she's about to leave the interview. She really doesn't have very much experience. He tells her to like, or she tells Alana to go like, go work at a Connecticut muffin. You have no experience. And she starts to kind of like Charlie Brown walk out of the interview. (laughs) And then she just turns around and she just like gives it to RuPaul about like why she fucking deserves this job and you are a regional manager at this restaurant how dare you talk to me this way and anyway RuPaul gives her the job because she showed some confidence and some directness and I'm not saying Amancio that Alana Glazer is your uh, model, but I just think (laughs) the workplace situations on this show are often just humiliating, but often inspiring and thinking about the ways in which we might want to act Mm -hmm. in a work environment and are not allowed to, but often her confidence is just inspiring, even if it is like uh, grossly inappropriate. <laughs> well, they always say like you're you're you get the interview that you don't want because like you aren't pandering, you aren't you like show more confidence in it. You aren't kind of like pleading for some, so like if you come in and you're kind of if you act as if you're better than the job, then there's like some sort of subconscious feeling that they actually then are like, oh well, actually maybe we want this person. Whoa. Yeah, because you're not you're not feeling insecure yeah. about it. You've set really low expectations yeah. for yourself. <laughs> It's also the episode where Abby, who's working at Solstice, finally gets to train Shania Twain (laughs) after being a cleaner and wanting to be a trainer for so long. And it's just a great episode. You should watch it. Anyway, that's that's my recommendation is to watch Broad City. (laughs) That's really good. On the note of confidence, I have a poem to share. So, yeah, I actually I it does not surprise (laughs) me. (laughs) it kind of doesn't surprise me that we have a lot of tv recommendations this week because i think it's hard to think about like business and work in the context of poetry Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i tried really hard and what came to me is matthias felina has a book called i'm a very productive entrepreneur oh Um, yeah yeah and matthias is a poet This book actually is described as a novel or actually it's novel parentheses la. So like it's a novel slash novella, but it reads to me like a collection of like flash fiction or short prose poems. And Matthias has many books that are all excellent. I'm a very big fan of his. We're all big. We're we're big fans over here. Of Matthias, Selena. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. all around, all around fandom of <laughs> Matthias. But Amancio, Matthias has for each book. Typically, there's one title that every piece has. So, like, he has a book called 
Wastoid. Every poem is called Wastoid. He's got a book called The Wine Dark Sea. Every poem is called The Wine Dark Sea. And his earlier books are like super imaginative and playful. I like all his work, but I think there is like a definite progression. And his earlier books, of which I am a very productive entrepreneur is one, have this like super imaginative, playful space that they use. And so every piece in this book begins with, I started this one business and then goes on to describe the business. And they're each somewhere between like one sentence and three pages. So pretty short. Um, and the content of the the poems is not particularly applicable to your situation, Amancio, but they are poems about business. <laughs> and the, and the, the collection title, I'm a very productive entrepreneur, I think, gives the note of confidence that you want. So I want to share one piece, one of the shorter pieces from this. I started this one business that provides catering for your moments of sudden, unexpected revelation and epiphany. We are discreet, I assure you. You just make a one-time lifetime payment, and then forever after we are near you, supplied with the appropriate foods to follow your moments of sudden, unexpected revelation and epiphany. You never know whether you'll want strawberries and champagne, or just a simple Triscuit and a small glass of room temperature water. You can never know what is the best snack to follow a sudden, unexpected revelation or epiphany. Our experts are trained in many forms of epiphany. They have studied at the finest ashrams and monasteries and trained with the chefs that you've seen on TV and the chefs who train the chefs that you've seen on TV. We master the aftertaste of epiphany. Not Matthias. I know. So good. Unlike Caroline, I found a poem that had a little bit more to do with the Mancio situation. I am just kidding. You can take that out. Um, I'm <laughs> really, really, really kidding. Don't take that out. <laughs> you need to know, listen, sometimes your friends are mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Amancio, here's a little learning lesson. <laughs> hey, Amancio, you have to be direct with your friends too. Yeah. As yeah. Oscar Wilde said, true friends stab each other in the front. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Caroline. <laughs> you are the one doing the stabbing. Yeah. I am the one flayed I'm, over here. I'm letting you know I am your true friend. And now that we're friends with Amancio, it's time to tell him like it is. <laughs> um, I'm really just kidding. It actually doesn't have it, – it's not about negotiating for a raise. Um, so it's not quite as on the nose as I'm pretending that it is. However, I did find a poem um, in Lindsay Teig's System of Ghosts, which is just beautiful all the way around. It talks a lot about isolation and being in empty spaces and, and kind of how to fill those spaces. It's, it's a lot about kind of what do we live now in a world where the things that we've built have been abandoned, right? And like when we go and live in a place, what ghosts are still in those spaces historically and socially and da-da-da-da-da. She writes about how to live in a world. Um, but there's, there's this, uh, poem called interview practice and it's set up as like a question answer sort of thing. And of course I, I won't read all of it, but a few of my favorite questions are, where do you see yourself in five years? Leadership, taking responsibility, something about working with others. Uh, what are your obsessions? Spontaneous combustions. I watch documentaries. I remember the cover image of one, a faded yellow armchair, the black round imprint of burn sinking ships. Are you lucky? I never cry while watching moths die. I never get lost on the way to the post office. Describe your career timeline. In college, my geology professor lectured on the timeline of the far future. He explained the ways the world could die. 
I imagine new ice ages, rising seas, exploding suns. What do you fear? The removal of mountains. A joke about telemarketers missing big games. What do you do when you're disappointed, sad, stressed? Details about planning a future. Walks to nowhere. Something about wishing but not believing in prayer. Say I strive for tradition. Insist I'm made for this work. There are two things I really, really love about those parts. And it is, one, the describe your career timeline. Because I think that we all, maybe not we all, but many of us have that sense of like, well, I don't know, maybe the world will die in the next five years. Climate change is going to ruin everything. Why do I even need a job? And we kind of can get, we can get real, real heavy. And then also the last line, which is what do you do when you're disappointed, sad, or stressed? And says, uh, say I strive for tradition, insist I'm made for this work. And then like, it makes me think a lot about when the many, many years that I I was applying for tenure track jobs, when I just kept thinking like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Do I even like this? Do I even want to continue doing this? If I don't, what do I like to do? What's the thing I can get money in? What's the thing that I like that I can get money in that won't kill me? Like there are just these big questions. And then in the end, it's kind of following that track. And I think asking for negotiation or asking for a higher salary kind of reminds you of that weird machine that you're a part of. And you're like, okay, no, I am made for this work. I am the best person at what I do, you know, and, and who, like, you know, depending on what you do, that could be, you know, absurd or not absurd. Like I'm the best at mopping a Starbucks floor or, you know, I'm the best at, you know, you can make yourself feel the best, but you have to kind of really pump yourself up in this way that makes you feel false or like you're peacocking yourself. What's, what's a good word for that? <laughs> I think that's I think perfect. That's a great word. Yeah. <laughs> yourself. Hey guys, look at my tail, you know? So yeah, I just, th- I thought it really spoke to those two feelings pretty well. And that is in Lindsay Teig's uh, System of Ghosts. And it won the Iowa Poetry Prize in 2015. Nice. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. I like that. Thanks. It makes me think a little bit about my job. I work for the federal government, and I'm often convincing myself that, okay, I work for this institution tucked inside the federal government, which is this huge, lunky bureaucracy And sometimes it's hard to remember that I like my job and (laughs) I am good at what I do because often the bureaucracy and the day-to-day just like indignities of working in an environment, environment like that can make you feel like, well, I don't know, like, do I belong here? Like, am I good at what I do? Like... I've been making the same amount of money for this long, but I do really like the work. So yeah, I think a little bit of like peacocking is often important to like keep your <laughs> keep your head above the water and keep yourself kind of on the trajectory that you feel like you belong on, if that makes sense. Isn't that a peacock? No? <laughs> That's Maybe Cardi not. B. you can cardi b yourself a little bit too if you want i was gonna say i feel like cardi i thought you were doing cardi b on purpose and i was like yeah yeah make like a really kind of a scary sound they're like you know oh my god yes yes i do know (laughs) i didn't realize how good i was at peacocking (laughs) you really are we have peacocks in my neighborhood and they're dreadful sounding Oh, oh my god Peacocks sound like they're saying my name. That's the one thing I don't like. I mean, there's probably a couple of things I don't like about peacocks. But one thing is that they always sound like they're going, (laughs) and it's, I hate it. I hate it. I always think they're saying my name. 
That's unner- that's unnerving. It is. I went to a zoo when I was like 10 and I just kept hearing the, and I didn't know what they were and this that was where like how it happened and I was like what are what are these things saying my name and then they just start walking around me and I'm like oh they're freaking peacocks. Um so anyway, that's that. But then if you have a peacock who's Cardi B, it can be like you know, it'd be pretty good. Yeah, um, I feel like Cardi B is a pretty good like personification of a peacock. I think so. She's got her shit together. Yeah. She does. Walk the walk. I also have a poem recommendation that's slightly in a different vein. It's less related to business, but it's thinking about doing the things that are best for you and doing them intentionally, which I think fits in well here so i'm just gonna read it it's a poem by naomi shihab nye and it's called next time ask more questions before jumping remember the span of time is long and gracious no one perches dangerously on any cliff till you reply is there a pouch of rain desperately thirsty people wait to drink from when you say yes or no i don't think so hold that thought Hold everything. When they say crucial, well, maybe for them? Hold your horses and your minutes and your Hong Kong dollar coins in your pocket. You are not a corner or a critical turning page. Wait, I'll think about it. This pressure you share is a misplaced hinge, a fantasy. I am exactly where I wanted to be. So Naomi Shihab Nye wrote this poem and it appeared on the Academy of American Poets poem a day. Often they ask the poet to talk a little bit about why they wrote the poem or what they were thinking about when they wrote the poem. And basically Naomi Shihab Nye was like, I wrote this thinking about like when or why did I say that I would do this thing? Like, am I committing myself to too many things? What am I thinking as I'm making decisions? basically like a poem that's helping her do what she's doing intentionally and with Mm -hmm. some self-care and yeah, just thinking about things longer. And it's not, you know, directly related to asking for a raise per se, but I think this theme of doing the things that are best for you and taking the time to make sure that you are prioritizing what you need to prioritize and um, advocating for yourself. I think that's really important here, Mancio. Well said, Anne. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I have some more recommendations, but they are my like category two recommendations. Mm -hmm. So my category one we're all, these are, I think, like responsible, productive ways to communicate what you need. And my category two recommendations are the opposite, which is these are ways you can be manipulative <laughs> if, that's what, if that's what you so want, which I guess like, so this is sort of a choose your own adventure. But I think that that's sort of implicit in the question, like, how do I ask for this thing is like, how do I get what I want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think probably, Amancio, if your boss is a reasonable person, you should go with like the sorts of things we've said so far. 
But if your boss is like a tricky or creepy person or an unreasonable person, or if you have some reason to suspect that like you need to wheedle the upper hand a little bit, I have some recommendations for you. The first is to watch the movie Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because he's just, I mean, he's just bullshitting his way through everything. And you presumably know way more about doing your job than the character knows about, like, being a doctor. And he's able to make it through. So I think it can just, it can kind of bolster your confidence that you don't really have to be, a, you're not a fake. You're the legitimate, what is they? what do they say? And there's like, you're the bona fide something to something. Champion. <laughs> you're the Cheese bona fide. Isn't it, isn't it like bona fide object or something? What is that? I don't know thing? what you're talking about. <laughs> Me neither. You're the, you know what? You're the, you're the real deal. The head honcho, the big cheese. You're the real deal. Great. Thank you. That's a way better way to say what I was forgetting how to say. You're the real deal. I liked bona fide object though. That was good. <laughs> All right. Great. Amancio, you're the bona fide object. You're the real deal. <laughs> you presumably deserve this raise because you actually know what you're talking about. So I think. I like Caroline. Ooh. Damn, Gail. <laughs> you know, I started out by telling you. I know. Honestly, <laughs> just take that out because that is that is really mean. But man, it was so easy. Listen, I can take it. I'm the youngest of four and I've been ripping my older siblings to shreds for a decade now. So <laughs> Yeah, you're really good at that. <laughs> so don't you worry, Gail. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not fine. I'm not even fine with me hurting someone else. <laughs> Amancio, before we were so rudely interrupted, <laughs> I was trying to tell you <laughs> that you're legit. And so if you watch Catch Me If You Can, where he's getting through situations knowing like less than an iota of what you know about your job um, and doing so, so successfully, it'll maybe give you confidence that like, yeah, I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like, I just have a little suite of things here that are about kind of scammers. Do should it. I just go into it? Okay. Oh, sure. The next thing I have is I think you should watch the documentary, The Inventor, that's about Elizabeth Holmes. She's another person who is like, so Elizabeth Holmes is the woman who, uh, started Theranos, which is that fakey. I mean, her, her idea was that you could do blood testing with like a little smidgen of blood and do all these tests and blah, blah, blah. And she had all these backers. It was a huge multi, I don't know, million or billion dollar company. She had contracts with Walgreens and all these huge companies and her technology never worked. Scientists all along the way told her, you can't do this. It will never work. There's a reason we need more blood to do this type of testing. But she just kind of scammed everyone. And when you watch this documentary, it's an HBO documentary called The Inventor. They do have a lot of footage of her, but they also interview some of her backers who are these like wealthy people who have been otherwise successful with their investments. And the way they talk about her, even though, you know, presumably by the time these interviews are happening, they know she's a total fraud. They still just talk about her with like this wonder, like, oh my God, she's really just pulled the wool over these people's eyes. So you can get some scammer energy there. Um <laughs> I also recently on an episode of My Favorite Murder, the podcast My Favorite Murder, episode 185, which is called 400 Peeled Potatoes. I won't ruin it. I would like you to listen to the episode, but they do a story about a very young person who pulls off some very big scams uh, by impersonating something that he's not. And then my last scammer advice for you is to play the game Werewolves of Miller's Falls. It is an excellent game. It's like the game Mafia, which I guess is played just with a 
deck of cards. I've never played it before, but everyone, whenever you're explaining this game to people, they're like, oh, is it like Mafia? And I just say yes. I don't know. Um, but it's a game where basically some people are, you get you get assigned a role and you're either a townsperson, in which case your goal is to keep townspeople alive, or you're a werewolf and your goal is to kill townspeople, but you also need to conceal your identity. And playing this game is wildly fun. You need at least eight people, so it can be hard to get like a, a quorum going. But you're either playing as a townsperson and trying to suss out the werewolves or what I would suggest, and there's no way for you to control this, but I would like you to play Amancio until you get to play as a werewolf and then feel that energy of getting to deceive people and see how good you are at it and get some scammer energy there. I would like to jump in here and just say that having played werewolves with Caroline Cabrera, uh, she is a master manipulator as a werewolf. <laughs> the first time we played this game, we were at this uh, reunion type event. So we had tons of friends together. We probably had a group of like 12 or 15 people, which makes it really, really fun. And it was the first time I had played. I don't know if you guys had played before. I've yeah. never, I wasn't even there. So. Oh. <laughs> I've never played this game. <laughs> really? Well. I'm trying to imagine where you would have been because like Jenny was there and everything. Yeah, I'll tell you where I was uh, maybe okay. after the end. We'll of the do it later. Yeah. Oh, I actually remember where you were. Yeah. I mean, Damn, I don't. Right? I was – yeah, but I mean I was – I don't remember exactly where I was, but I know why I wasn't there. Okay, cool. <laughs> Intrigue. Now, Aeon, had you played before that night? Yeah. Okay. So it was my first time and I was a werewolf one of the first couple rounds and I was um, – something that happens in this game is that if you do get killed throughout the course of the game, you get to keep your eyes open when some – like there's, there's a whole thing where sometimes people have to close their eyes. Um, but once you're dead, you're allowed to keep your eyes open so you can see what's going on. And then everything is revealed to you. So you, you know automatically who like the werewolves are and stuff like that. But you're dead, so it doesn't matter. That's the, well, that's the person I want to be. You want to be dead the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> you just want to be eliminated That's immediately. A, no, and that I think that says so much about maybe my personality, but at least the way that I play games. Let's put it that way. I don't yeah. want to play the game. I want to watch everybody else do it. <laughs> so we were playing this game, and I was a werewolf, but I was really, really professing not to be a werewolf. And Aeon was going to bat for me. She was like, I know Caroline. She's not a good liar. She's not lying to me right now. I 100% know she's oh not God. lying. And then Anne ended up dying. And then when she opened her eyes and saw that I was a werewolf, she was furious. And she was mad at me for like, I don't know, the whole evening. <laughs> she was just like, I cannot believe you. Amancio, it honestly, it changed our relationship forever. I'm still mad <laughs> wow. about it. <laughs> Caroline, why didn't why didn't you kill Anne? I don't remember if I did kill Anne or not. I mean, oh. like, because the way it happens, like, the choosing who dies happens by committee. Yeah. So as a werewolf, you have to be really sneaky because you have to be protecting yourself, but also getting the right people killed. It's you know, it's wow. It's I don't, I don't like this game. Yeah, it's some people find it really stressful. It is very stressful because it's a game of total deception. And it, well, and it sounds like a game that's a lot like middle school, where like if people <laughs> choose who then gets to die, which means like you just like you kind of all like gang up on one person who doesn't know about it. Oh, oh I feel yeah, that right now. Oh my god, <laughs> that happened to me. That was my eighth grade year, you guys. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. 
it's really important to play this game with the right people, with friends you feel really like comfortable with and that's nobody. I'm who just you kidding. Feel, <laughs> who you feel comfortable when they totally lie to your face. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. They'll go to bat and, who, and turn around their werewolves. <laughs> yeah, and who and who when you say like who killed me? And they're like, I did. And you're like, why? And they're like, I don't fucking know. You can just move on from it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So but what I was going to say is in connection with this, sort of, back at least with the scammers. <laughs> but is that, I mean, and it's along with like the idea of like student learning objectives, right? Where it's like, all, it's all just about the right branding. We're like, it is totally fucked up that we have to do that. It is totally messed up that like the brain only receives things things in that way and the way that we look at news and media these days have really latched onto that as a psychological tool. It's all about the branding. If you give yourself the right words that end up, that may feel a little bit like peacocking or Cardi being. However, it will make you look, it's all about the branding. It's all about how you are able to manipulate your image uh, to help convince people that you are who you say you are. And if you truly believe that you are who you say you are, which you need to work on, Amancio, not that I particularly know that, I'm just saying that's the part of this show is that we're helping you feel more confident, then you'll be able to successfully convince your boss or whomever that you deserve this raise and maybe then you can kill him or her. (laughs) No. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. The end is if you are a werewolf and your boss – is a townsperson, you can kill them. That's not the point. I'm sorry. I think I lost where I was in the episode. (laughs) Now that we're werewolves. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, So I have like a couple couple quickies. Number one, I was singing a couple things to myself besides Rose's turn, which is what I was doing all yesterday. Between that and singing Circle of Life, my – I like I really hope that my big mountain neighborhood, which we're very far apart in our houses, but it is highly possible that everybody was listening to me just belt the shit out of these songs. But so I have a couple that I was singing to myself. And the first one is <laughs> this is after you get your raise, okay? And it is from I've got a golden ticket. <laughs> <laughs> And I just kept singing to myself because I'd have said it couldn't be done. And then he goes, but it can be done. You know, I never thought that I could fly over the moon and ecstasy. You know, I mean, we all know that part. I'm just leading it up to the thing we all know. But the thing I really wish, Gail, that you had shared with us that this was going to be a musical episode because Anne and I came very un- underprepared. I'm so sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah. But you know me, though. So, like, really, in terms of odds, it's kind of weird that it hasn't been that much of a musical for this. So, <laughs> really, she's saying it's our fault. I know. <laughs> no, that's all I'm saying. Um, but all I just kept saying to myself was, like, but it can be done. You know, that was actually terrible in terms of notes, but whatever. I just, yeah, anyway, I just kept thinking, but it can be done. I never thought that I could fly over the moon in ecstasy. Anyway, we'll just stop there. Um, you can fly over the moon, Amancio. In ecstasy. Because you have <laughs> Not on ecstasy. Yeah. But maybe like dial it back, dial the ecstasy yes. back a little bit while yes. you're asking and for your so, Yeah, just that like, and it can be done part. I just kept seeing myself over and over again. And because it can be done. And you may have said it couldn't be done before. However, it can be done. <laughs> um, also, 
It, it can, can, however, however be, done. be done. Um also the song um Yes Anastasia by Tori Amos, because there's the so it's this like really big orchestral background and there's a lot of her like, you know, on the piano behind, you know. So it's it sounds a lot it sounds very orchestral and epic, like it's like a movie soundtrack. But then she's singing I don't know, also like really foreboding lyrics in the foreground. It's so very good, but there's this good, great part in the chorus, um, or I guess it's maybe not the chorus. It's kind of as, well, it might be the chorus. It doesn't matter. Um, we'll bring Tori Amos on to talk about it. But she sings um, this part that's like, we'll see how brave you are. And it's so good. And the reason why it's called Yes, Anastasia is because after she says, we'll see how brave you are, then goes to Yes, Anastasia. So like it, Anyway, I guess she's talking, I guess, maybe to Anastasia. I don't know. But anyway, the We'll See How Brave You Are is just one of the best things. It's got these really deep cellos under it, and it sounds really – it's like this beautiful – it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous piece of music, but then it's also incredibly – it's almost like a weird, slow, jazzy pump-up jam. <laughs> that makes sense. Also, I recommend watching gymnasts visualize their vaults and thinking about how sports – how sports athletes <laughs> think about sports that athletes. Is, <laughs> that is such a great suggestion. Thank you, Caroline. But yeah, or like anyone visualizing anything. I, but I think you can most clearly see it in vaulters because you'll see them like – and I, I watched a couple of videos of um, Michaela Maroney talking about her perfect vault. Like when, she's not even doing it at the time. Obviously, she's talking on camera. But when she, even when she describes it, she's not saying like, and then hopefully you do da 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 da. And then she goes, and that's when I land perfectly on the map. That's when I land right on that white stripe where it's, you know, where, and then I lift up, or, you know, I lift up my arms and then there's a moment of silence. And then if there's an audience, that's when they start screaming. Like it's this like clear, it, this is like, she's not saying, oh, I just, I really hope that things come out well. I just like, I'm looking out into the future. I'm hoping all of these things. It's just like, yeah, so I'll block as best I can. And then when I get down, that's what I'm going to be right on the white line. And then that's when the audience is going to scream. It's not this like vague looking out. It's actually visualizing with real tools and obviously practice. Don't just visualize and then jump out into a vault. Amasio, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it's it's using the real tools that you have and then visualizing it and going through each step, but visualizing it going really successfully. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. And when you said I land and there's a moment of silence and then if there's a crowd, that's when they start screaming and made me tear up because I love Olympic gymnastics so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so yeah, great. It's so good. Can I recommend, Amancio, that you watch Working Girl <laughs> like I recommended to Veronica because I think it is just as applicable. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, very true. She knew what she wanted. She went for it. She had the confidence and she didn't suffer bullshit. Uh, don't suffer bullshit, Amancio. Come on. Don't do it, Amancio. Um, so my final recommendation is probably from a movie we've all seen. And so anyway, I have a scene and it's the very end of The Wizard of Oz and this is very kind of on the nose, right? And it made me it made me go back to cuz I was thinking a lot about the, this intimidation and the fact that like it's it's so 
surface level, it's so superficially set up for us to feel intimidated when it's just a human who's going to go home and poop in his toilet that night, or she's going to wake up the next morning and have to brush her teeth because her breath is so stinky. And like these are real people who are gross and they're humans and they're just living their lives. And they may not just like put their pants on one leg at a time. They probably have fallen flat on their face while putting on their pants, like as we all do. <laughs> please, please tell me the way you're recommending is everybody poops. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Recommendation number one, everybody poops. <laughs> I think that's self-explanatory. Recommendation number two <laughs> is the part at the end of The Wizard of Oz when they find out that the wizard is just an old guy with a pointy beard and a hot air balloon. <laughs> Um, and so it's the part when, so I've got a script here and I'm not going to do the script because I think I've already scripted enough this, uh, and musicaled enough this episode. Um, but, and as we all remember, Toto is the one who shows us all who the wizard is. Toto is the one who pulls back the curtain because Toto is the best. Toto's the real hero. Toto's the hero of the entire movie. Let's be honest. (laughs) Um, he also was on so many drugs. For this movie. That is horrible. But also, so is everybody in the movie. That's true. Let's just <laughs> let's just let's be honest. Um, okay, so Dorothy. So it's like when they're asking, like uh, they've come back and they've killed the Wicked Witch of the West, and Dorothy's like, "Cool, we've done it. Now can I go home?" And the wizard's like, "Come back tomorrow. I gotta go." He just decide. He's like, "I'm gonna give you know." Come talk to me tomorrow. I'll figure something out. And then Dorothy goes, if you were really great and powerful, you'd keep your promises. And then the Wizard of Oz goes, do you presume to criticize the great Oz, you ungrateful creatures? Think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you an audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. You know, and he's doing all of this like really grandstandy kind of things. And that's when Toto just like tiptoes over. And he's just this tiny little dog. And he runs over and he pulls back the camera. And the Wizard of Oz is this tiny little man. He's not even just like a like a six foot two tall man. He is a pretty small man with a pointy beard. And he's messing with all the stuff, all of the like mechanics of like doing this great wizard stuff. And then he's got all these controls. And then then what's so funny is then everybody just like turns around and they look at him. And it's just so funny because he his back is to the to the camera and so like he doesn't know that everybody knows anyway irony it's so funny um (laughs) just look it up it's called irony um and then dorothy's like who are you and he's like oh pay no attention i'm the great and powerful oz and he keeps like look like trying to go back and look in his mic look and talk in his microphone like even though the camera's open and they're all looking at him but he keeps like like trying to answer through the microphone which is also really funny um, but anyway, so turns out he says, and he, you know, he gets really bummed. He's like, there's no other wizard except me. And then Scarecrow says the best thing, which is you humbug. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, he, and then the wizard goes, yes, that's exactly so. I'm a humbug. And then Dorothy goes, you're a very bad man. And then he goes, no, my dear, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard, which it's so good. It's so frustrating. However, it's so funny, number one. But I think it really it, – it's the only thing that and maybe the first – like that beginning of Harry Potter when Harry's with – he's with Hagrid and he's learning – he's like learning all these things that everybody else already knows about magic. That. But I would say this probably says a little bit more. But it's this sense of like 
someone is just making you feel like you're not good enough or that you don't know something. But really all it is is like it's just information. That <laughs> your boss, whoever they are, is going to go home and poop in the toilet. <laughs> They're just trying to make themselves seem intimidating so that you do and so you don't ask for a raise or you don't, you know, you don't think of yourself as great. But if you come up to your boss and say to your boss like, "Hey, hey, I think we're colleagues. I think we're coworkers. I actually think I deserve a raise." Then you will make them come out of their curtain and give you your dog back. And then you'll have Toto and also a good boss. I don't know. I'm just making up something by this point. I also think that a dog is direct and a cat exactly is. Yeah. <laughs> so I think your two options are to be like a dog or be like a cat. But either way, be like a really good dog or a really good cat. Yeah, because Toto did not suffer any bullshit. Toto was like, guys, are you guys fucking idiots? I'm going to pull off this curtain. Don't you see that there's a man behind the curtain? Like, I have senses better than any of y'all, you know? Even yeah. And I'm even on yeah. drugs. <laughs> oh. It's such a bummer, man. <laughs> did, did, did it just occur to you that maybe Toto would be on drugs? No, just every time you say it, it bums me out. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I think it's funny. <laughs> I mean, sorry to tell you this, but Toto's probably dead by now. <laughs> Man, you're really taking us down, Gail. <laughs> All right, Amancio. <laughs> Amancio, I think you can do this. I know you can do this. Not only that, right? It's all about branding. You've already done it. Let's just put it that way. You've done it. Great job. Yeah. You know yeah. what you're worth and you've just got to And actually, I want to say one more thing. This is something I kept trying to find recommendations for this and it didn't – I came up a little short, which maybe is part of my, my point, which is that – Okay, you don't get your raise. Maybe you don't, you know? Hopefully you do. You visualize it. It's going to be awesome. But it doesn't mean that you're going to stop trying. It doesn't mean that you still don't deserve what you're going to ask for maybe the next time, right? Or maybe you'll learn maybe by asking for this raise and then your boss telling you, actually, why don't you work on these things or give me six months or whatever, then you'll be able to continue, just keep trying and like possibly rejection is going to be a part of the process, but that doesn't mean that you actually don't still deserve the raise that you want. Yeah, we're rooting for you, Amancio. Yeah. We, we are excited for you. Amancio, the great and powerful. Now That We're Friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Ann Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Our producer is Lisanne, the real wizard behind the curtain, Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. Now That We're Friends is an Oh Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or a written email to newfriend@omiami.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NTWF Podcast.